0: Um, no, I'm, I'm really um, excited to introduce Mark Seymour to you, who's going to come, come up and share uh, his and Mandy's story of God's uh, faithfulness through a, uh, a deep valley in their life. And, um, and I just, I'm so impressed with Mark and Mandy and for their, their faith. It's just uh, really moving to me. So I'm excited that you get to hear uh, part of their story. It's not the whole story, but Mark, come on up. I want to just pray for you if you... In mind. Father, we thank you for Mark and Mandy and for their family, and uh, just bless him as he shares um, how you have been uh, faithful and loving to him. Uh, Lord, we thank you for um, this this chance to hear uh, from Mark, and just ask that you bless him in this time. Amen. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, first, Pete, thanks for um, the invitation to speak. Uh, I am a shy Catholic as a, as a child and even into adulthood. So, a few years ago, if someone had said, We're going to put you in, fro- in front of a room of people and ask you to speak about your faith, I would have ran. Um, so, thank you for the challenge, but also the honor. Um, this is one of my favorite parts of Winter Weekend and hearing some of the stories I've heard. Um, so, I hope that you guys enjoy ours as well. Um, so, you will see us running around with my little boy Camden, um, but this morning I get to tell you about my daughter Quinn. and. Um, if you guys don't mind kicking one of my family picks, thank you. Um, the, I get to talk about Quinn a lot. I'm the director of volunteers at the Ronald McDonald House, and I get to share our story with Quinn an awful lot. But I never get to share the faith pieces of it. I never get to share the part that mattered really the most to us. Um, so Quinn's story started, and I'm just going to introduce you to the way we met her um, so that you can meet her the way we did, which was in my home, very much on accident, Four weeks before her due date, Mandy said, hey, I'm having some contractions. I said, what do you mean? And she said, oh, I overdid it. It's 80 degrees, it's hot, it's sunny, I've been chasing our two-year-old around, we're not having a baby today. And two hours later, the paramedics had been in my home for four minutes, and they were holding Quinn. I learned some very important lessons in that couple of hours. One, my wife is maybe the strongest woman I know. Two, we're a pretty good team. And three, paramedics truly do like to be called firemen, not midwives. (laughs) (laughs) The night was incredible. This adrenaline just pulses through your veins as Mandy rode to the hospital with Quinn in the back of the ambulance, and I was on the phone to my family saying, hey, we had a baby in the house, and my family knows I like to play jokes and have pranks, so my own mother didn't believe me. And I finally had to yell at her and say, Mom, you're the one that had a baby on April Fool's Day, not me. (laughs) We had a baby. You should get in the car if you want to come meet her. When we were laying in the hospital room, praying together, and just enjoying the moment of having this beautiful child born in your home and that adrenaline still coursing through you, we couldn't help but smile at each other. And it felt like forever. In reality, it was a few minutes. And the nurse had taken Quinn and washed her, and she brought her into the room, and she had tears in her eyes. And I thought, oh, well, this is a nurse. She sees new babies all the time. Why is she crying? And she said, I'm sorry, I've never done this before, but I peeled skin off your child's butt. Mandy and I kind of looked at each other like, no, we saw her at home. She was beautiful. She was beautiful a few minutes ago before you took her to wash her and stuff. What do you mean you took skin off her butt? There but was two fingerprints, one on each little cheek, that they had peeled skin off of her butt. And over the next nine days, we met three separate dermatologists because they didn't really know what they were looking at. And these fluid filled blisters started to appear around her diaper, around the IV board that they had in her arm. And then the tape came off her IV board and it took all the skin with it. Finally, on day nine, a dermatologist told us, this is a disorder called epidermolysis bullosa. It's very rare, and I think your daughter has the worst kind. And I said, what does the worst kind mean? And he said, she might not see her first birthday. But there's a program in Minnesota, if you're able to get into it, that is doing bone marrow transplants, trying to save children with this disorder. So let me give you an idea of what EB is. Functionally, it's a skin condition, although it affects the internal organs in the severe forms as bad as the outside. So if you rub your arm, you're rubbing your epidermis. And if you pinch until it hurts, you're pinching your dermis. Everything in between should look like Velcro. Those little hoops that all attach to each other, Quinn was missing a whole layer of hoops. So her skin just moved around. It didn't stay together like ours did. If you guys don't mind showing the next pictures of Quinn, When Quinn was 11 weeks old, she was below her birth weight. She nursed constantly. We were supplemental feeding her, and we couldn't get her to gain weight because with open wounds over larger and larger portions of her body, they either grow or they heal. They generally can't do both. So we were faced with a choice you never want to make as a parent for do we stay in Ohio where we can be really close to care and close to the care and love of our family support because we have great families, or do we move to Minneapolis, probably into a Ronald McDonald house, and search for cure, but away from all the support systems that we have? When we decided we were coming to Minnesota, it was really an easy choice for us that care and cure are two different things when they tell you your child has a terminal disorder. And we were filled with hope that this was a treatment that could work for her. It was something that can make her better. And on the third day in the cities, Quinn died in the OR. They revived her. And when you meet a surgeon one day, and they're the most confident people you may ever meet in your life, and two days later they're crying in front of you and absolutely terrified, you know that they've seen the worst and that it maybe isn't good. I know that Quinn did well that day. And she did improve. And I know that my wife is far better at this kind of thing than me. And she said, we still need to continue to pray that God goes before us. To prepare us for the next steps. To prepare us for the hard parts. And we know he was always there. But she was smart enough to say, Mark, we need to pray to be open to see it. We need to let down our guards so that we can see that we're making the right choices for her. That moving to Minnesota was the right choice, that having our families come in spurts to help us care for our two-year-olds was the right choice, that trusting the physicians we decided to trust was the right choice, that we weren't just bringing more pain to her life, that we were actually giving her hope and a chance. So while we were living in the hospital with Quinn, because she lived in the hospital full-time once we were in Minneapolis, we prayed a lot, as you might imagine. We felt like we, all we could do was pray for her We changed bandages with her almost every day. The bandages you saw in the last photo and what you see up around her neck in this one covered her whole body, and we had to take those off every other day, revealing second- and third-degree burns, which means we we know more about narcotics than we should, Um, and she was on them every day all the time. Um, It was painful and hard as a parent to see it. Um, It was a way that I could care for her, but you know that the way you care for your child inflicts more pain and it's the best thing you can do for them. So while we were doing those things, we prayed an awful lot. Mandy prayed the rosary, I think seven or eight times a day, if if I kept count over periods of time. Yes, I prayed it with her too, sometimes when she made me, and I listened well. Um, it really came easily to pray, because you have this child who has been baptized, and they have no sin, and they have no way to sin. And we felt... That God was carrying her and in that closeness he was helping us there was this amazing peace we had most of the time not to say we aren't humans and we had our really bad days and bad moments but in these big stretches people would come in and say how are you guys calm how are you even normal and it was always that we were leaning on prayer and we knew God was holding Quinn we also had a blog going with like 10,000 people that were registered to read it and we were getting notes from around the world of groups that were praying for us. And I promise if you've ever done one of those groups on the receiving end, you feel it. You feel this warmth, you feel this comfort, you feel strangers taking care of you when you're just not capable of taking care of yourself. Come early January, Quinn had had her transplant in December. She was almost five months old, and she needed to be rushed to the ICU, and they needed to intubate her, and it didn't go well. And it was the first time we had to tell the physicians, there are some life-saving measures we're not okay with, because we choose quality of life, not quantity of life for her. So if you can tell me what you're gonna do is gonna give her quality and quantity, we're in. If it's just quantity, it's not. And it didn't go well. And then I had to change her bandages the next day, and I knew she was very delicately intubated, and it was miserable. It was the worst I felt in our journey with her. The doctors had come in and told us to be prepared for the worst. I don't know how you prepare for that, but they warned us to be prepared. And I called my dad because because I love my dad, and he's awesome. And my dad was the sick child like Quinn when he was a kid. He had polio back when polio was a thing that claimed lives and didn't allow people to live. My dad felt like he was meeting his parents through Mandy and I. And while we talked about what to pray for, I was really struggling with, am I praying to save her like we've done every day? Or am I praying for God's will? We say we want His will. We say we want it in our lives. But I felt like I knew what that meant. And I really didn't know how to deal with those feelings or to trust Him. So I left the hospital that day on a day much like this. It was way too cold to go outside. And I was running from my own emotions. And I got to the end of the hospital grounds right on the Mississippi River and there was a statue of Mary looking back at me. It wasn't the first time she had found me when I needed her. But it was a time that I was at my end and there I stood and I probably shouldn't tell all of you that I screamed at a statue. (laughs) But it maybe was the first time that I had an honest conversation with Jesus, with his mom, and shared that it wasn't just their prayers I was looking for or their help, but I was mad. I was frustrated to do it to me, not to her. Quinn survived that time too, and in April. We held her as she took her last breath. And she looked at us. God truly had done what we asked. He had healed her in the only way that would work. Better than we could have imagined. We know, we know that she went straight to heaven. But there's that honest human thing that happens where you have to figure out that heaven is better for your kid than being with you. That as the ultimate parent to us, we're trying to get to his arms. We just don't expect to see our kids go there before us. And it throws you into some awful grief. (laughs) the in some ways we felt superhuman that you could put a challenge in front of us and we could do it because we raised a superhero that was now a saint and we had seen it firsthand so during our journey one of the chaplains in this beautiful brand new hospital that was like six months old when we moved into it that they wanted a chapel that they wanted spiritual space so that they could take care of families and give people a place to go worship And when Quinn died, Mandy said, Mark, we're doing that. And like any good husband would, I said, no, please, no. (laughs) Honey, we just buried our child, and we're trying to figure out how to live real life. I don't think we can do this. I don't think we can raise the kind of money we would need to raise. you guys mind kicking two pictures of the chapel? Um, After three and a half years of asking people to give us money all the time, something that neither of us are very comfortable with still. We found out that God does amazing things when you just listen. When you just see him on the path and see that you're doing the things he wants, all these walls just get knocked down. You get out of your own way. Amazing people walk into your lives, the last of which were the people that gave us way too much money to be able to finish the chapel And it was the weekend we had decided we were moving back to Minneapolis when they stepped forward and donated all the money. And I never thought to ask for them to want to care for me. But it's an honor that they introduced themselves to others as my Minnesota mom and dad. We would have never asked for that kind of love. And yet, God brought it to us. Grief is awful, And Manny and I still have some sort of unspoken and spoken agreements with grief. Most are that we'll pray together. Um, But some of them are simple and easy, like, you better answer your phone or you better call me back. Because if you don't, and it's three minutes later, I've probably planned your funeral. We talked a lot to other parents and other families and also to a Christian counselor. Someone that used our faith to help us heal. Someone that used the scripture to talk to us about all the emotions we couldn't understand. And one of the important things she shared with us was that if you both have ideas and you go away, go to God with them, pray about them, and when your hearts unite on those things, that's God. That is God saying, that's your path. Stop all the questions. Take that path was how the chapel came to us. It was how three years worth of praying and moving back to Minneapolis came to us in, in a weekend that we were doing it. Shortly after we decided to do the work with the chapel, we fell into a really deep grief. If you don't mind going to that footprints photo. We're all familiar with this sign. It's in every Christian church and every Catholic school I ever went to. When we hit that, darkest grief it was a really uncomfortable and miserable place and Mandy and I prayed on it and talked about it one night and I said it feels like that cold wet sand we know that Quinn was being carried and because of that so were we and there was that place where we were far enough away from that journey that God was giving his telling us showing us that he trusted us that we were on the right path. But at the start, it felt awful. It felt like this cold darkness, this really hard walk through uncomfortable sand that none of us want to do. As I mentioned before, we set out on the journey and we've tried to just trust God and he has shown up in miraculous ways through parents that love us, that didn't know us and heck don't know us that well today. To a faith community that had experienced the deep grief for another child named Quinn before we decided to join it. To the statue outside of that school that is just like the one above my daughter's grave. To our favorite saint, St. Padre Pio, and his message of pray, hope, and don't worry being in a poster in that school the day that we visited Mandy had put that as, you know, one of those good tests for God that none of us should ask for. Just put a sign on the wall, we'll know we're in the right place. And there it was. So he's continuing to show us we're on the right path. He's brought us families like the Morans that say, come to Family Fest in the winter, you'll love it. It's a great place. It's something we've committed to that we'll be every year. Built a chapel for others to make sure that we can feel his love. We get to visit it. I hope like heck I never need it. But if any of you are at the University of Minnesota and you want a nice place to pray, it's a good place to go. We made drastic changes to our work environments and lives. I never wanted to work in nonprofit, and I definitely never wanted to work at the Ronald McDonald House before I lived in one. Let these new dreams appear when we decide to follow a path that isn't the one we choose. The one that's laid out before us or given to us. So as I finish, I just want to thank you guys. If you don't mind throwing my family pick up. This is what we do today. This is one of the ways we remember her. You'll see funny nail polish on me too. Yes, I'm weird. Um, And yes, it's a way we remember Quinn because she didn't have fingernails of her own. But I need to thank all of you because you come here to grow and you encourage others to join you. So it's our desire to get to heaven more than ever because we want to see her. So thank all of you for helping get us a little bit closer. And if you would, because we're Sappy and we love Mary. If we would all just join hands together with each other and pray some Hail Marys with us, that would be great. I'm going to come join you too, if that's okay. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. And to St. Quinn, I hope she's praying for all of us. Thanks, guys.